0: Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film
1: franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm going to make sure to leave my business cart outside of Matera Acropolis for my worst enemy to find right before he blows up tragically. Joseph.
2: <laughs> it's a
1: crocodile on, on the business cart, just just, to, just so everyone's aware. I mean, I'm Alex. And I'm Britton. And guys, I know we talked a lot of, a lot
3: of smack about Venom. Last week, but I was, you know, the Oscar nominations came out today and I was a little, a little surprised to see that the big tongued brute didn't, didn't get any attention from, from those, those, uh, highfalutin Academy folk. Uh, instead they nominated a bunch of documentaries. So, mm-hmm. you know.
0: And alleged good movies. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Venom. Do- performances that like, I guess, I guess they're fine. I can call I it guess, performances. you know. Yeah. But like. I just I I Woody Harrelson you're telling me Woody Harrelson was not one of the best actors. Woody Harrelson in Venom Let There Be Carnage was not one of the best performances of the year you're telling me that I know right here with a straight face that's what you're
3: saying to me Denzel walks in there and gives all that Shakespeare stuff I don't even know what he's saying
1: <laughs> Harrelson could do Shakespeare I bet he has. I don't know. He probably he probably could. I I think (laughs) the drama that was on display in Venom: Let There Be Carnage it was nothing short of Shakespearean. Mm -hmm. I I feel like you
3: know you got a lot of I mentioned you got documentaries in there and they're real and stuff. But Venom documents an artist's vision Mm -hmm. and the hopes and aspirations of a lonely symbiote and the cop reporter reporter who loves him. (laughs) So why not? I don't, I don't, you know, it's just nice that we still have movies. Um, yeah, but you know, it did get uh, a three Oscar nominations today. The movie we're talking about today. Oh, this is, this is a big episode. This is an episode. What? Five years, (laughs) five years in the making. Yeah, sort
1: of. Yeah. Uh, Potentially
3: like six and a half at this point. Yeah. Long time. James
0: Bond was our third franchise that we did ever on this podcast. Would have been like, Starting with episode eight, something like that. So maybe later than that, I don't know, somewhere in there. Um, And we are talking about his, his latest uh, grand outing, and that is No Time to Die. That's right. Some would argue his best outing. That some would be me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was nominated this morning uh, for Billie Eilish's score. <laughs> Um, Billie mm-hmm. Eilish's visual effects. I assume Billie Eilish made the film. I keep I keep seeing Billie Eilish's No Time yeah. to Die all over the place. So I just assume she made the movie. No, it was right, original song, uh, sound, and visual effects. Yeah, right in there. So sorry, free guy. I don't think you're going to take this one home. It's up against Dune, so I don't know how we're going to do. <laughs> Alex, what are the scores? And would you like to say a little something
1: before we start? I don't know. I know this is a big one for you. Sure. Uh in short, No Time to Die is probably one of the movies that I've I've been most excited to talk about on this podcast ever. Uh everyone knows that I'm a I'm a sucker for the Daniel Craig Bond movies, and this is his last one. And uh spoilers, it goes out on a bang, literally, uh, and metaphorically, uh, I love it, and we'll talk about it. No Time to Die from 2021, directed by uh Carrie uh let me see if I can get that right. carrie Joji Fukunaga. It has an eighty-three percent critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and an eighty-eight percent audience score. It's pretty good. Hmm. I love it. And people that don't like it, whatever. <laughs>
0: uh, Britain, did you have a a, a summary? I sure do.
3: Events. Tyler, thank you. The film. Let me. Close that tab that said houses for Tyler, Texas. (laughs) Um, uh, Okay. No Time to Die, a synopsis by Google. James Bond is enjoying a tranquil life in Jamaica after leaving active service. However, his peace is short-lived as his old CIA friend, Felix Leiter, shows up and asks for help. The mission to rescue a kidnapped scientist turns out to be far more treacherous than expected, leading Bond on the trail of a mysterious villain who's armed with a dangerous new technology.
1: I can confirm all of that happened in the movie. It's all real. Yeah. It's all true. Alex, you want to start Good with best summer. and worst or do you want to go? I got, what are you feeling? Yeah, I can go first. Uh, I feel like all of us should kind of level set uh, just with a reminder of kind of our experience with Bond, um, particularly Britain, because I know you've only seen yeah. you haven't seen all of them. Um, and have you seen all of the Craig films? Uh, so I
3: have seen basically as a result of this podcast and also just my own viewing. I've seen every Bond movie except Connery. Um, the only Connery movie I've seen is Never Say Never Again.
1: Unfortunate.
3: Yeah. And I haven't seen Live and Let Die, but I've seen all the other ones. I haven't seen Spectre. But I've, I've seen, seen Quantum of Solace. I've seen Casino Royale, I've seen Skyfall a couple times. And now, No Time to Die.
1: It'll be, yeah. I, I want to pick your brain about that, not having Spectre as part of your viewing experience. because I, like, I feel like it's kind yeah. of necessary viewing material, even though I don't like that movie.
3: It, I, I think it is, but at the same time, I feel like I still knew the information I needed to know. Sure. Right. I mean, I've like, complained about it for six years. So yeah, like I knew that Blofeld was his brother, but maybe not. And I knew that he gets to be with Lea Sedu. Yeah, and that Blofeld yeah. had been behind all the stuff. Right. He was behind everything. He yeah. was, the author, was the author of all Right. Right. Yeah. All right. I'll... Bond was a
1: kite flying in a hurricane,
0: etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Good line, wrong movie. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, that, what is, that, what? That's that's my
3: history with it. Uh, I would say, listeners of this podcast, know I would say that Jimmy and I are not the closest of friends, but I do generally like the James Bond or the the Daniel Craig version of the character, the Daniel Craig movies, um, and I quite like this
1: one. So,
0: is kite dancing in a hurricane not from Spectre?
1: I should have rephrased that. I meant it's in the wrong, like it should be in another I movie. See. I see.
3: Yeah, mm. that feels like like a like a Nolan, yeah, exactly type line. As he explains, like, how this technology works. It's cloning. Yeah. Oh, so how does this cloning
1: work? It's like a kite flying on a hurricane. What? Like, if you said that Kenneth Branagh said that in Tenet, I would not bat yeah. an eye. Or Dunkirk. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Dunkirk. What are really? we going to do Christopher Nolan's movies? Uh, right uh, after uh, Guardians of cool. Yeah. That we we very well could. Um. <laughs> when Nolan does his remake of Gahul. <laughs> um... Uh. My best thing is going to be just James Bond, the character James Bond, and how everything done with him in this movie I absolutely love. I love Daniel Craig's performance. I love how because of the context that they have given his character and the fact that he's kind of reached the end, he's he's retired, he's kind of over everything, he's able to just speak his mind so whether it's he's talking to M, he's talking to Felix, he's talking to Blofeld, he's kind of just saying what he wants to instead of having to hold it back and be reserved, which I think has been a strength of Craig's bond in previous films. It's also been kind of a detriment, particularly in Spectre, because I often had the complaint that I don't really know where his head is at. So by the time he gets to the end of that movie and he's like, no, I'm not going to kill Blofeld and I'm just going to leave. it's It's just kind of like, it it's very confusing as to how he got there mentally um but in this film he basically just speaks his mind and i absolutely love it and i think that's such a an, an, a wonderful change of pace for for the character and it doesn't come out of nowhere there's proper context given to it um the the whole back and forth with him and m when he re- returns to mi6 and he's just kind of he he's 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 making fun of M every chance he gets and M keeps going back for a drink and he just goes, "My god, you are thirsty today." <laughs> it's great. Um but yeah, obviously I I love just kind of the fact that that they do fully embrace, no, this is Daniel Craig's last movie. Uh they they spoilers they kill him, um which we can get into because there's there's kind of two points of contention that I've noticed with kind of the Bond community and and everyone's reactions to this. Number one being he has a kid and then number two, he dies. And I think the fact that he dies kind of overshadows the fact that he has a kid, which is interesting. Um, And both of those completely work for me. We'll get into it. But I, I just, I really like how this character of bond, this iteration has matured and really feels like an actual person. And the, the way they've just kind of completed this five movie arc, like it, it somehow closes it out in a way that retroactively makes some of the weaker movies better. Like I think this greatly improves Spectre. Like that that will be a better watch now because this movie exists. Um, and apparently Daniel Craig was the one that was like, "No, we we've got to kill him. He's this is my version of the character. We got to kill him at the end." And I'm like, "That, that works for this guy." Like, <laughs> and I I greatly greatly enjoy his performance and the fact that James Bond is my favorite thing about a james bond movie (laughs) um it's doing something right yeah um my worst thing is probably going to be something obvious and i think a lot of people have kind of pointed this out um i think once we get into the latter half of the movie our our villain safin his motivations and kind of the uh intricacies of his plan are a little too vague um I do like the conversation that he has with Bond when he's holding Mathilde hostage because, you know, I've talked about this before. I really love a exchange in worldview kind of conversation between our hero and villain in Bond movies. And we really get you know, the opportunity for, for both of the actors to kind of shine doing that. But at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, so Safin's got a God complex and he wants to sell Heracles to the highest bidder. But what does he want to, who does he want to target? and i guess to us at a certain point it doesn't really matter cuz no matter what it's it's a bad thing. We don't really need to get into the the details on that. But i don't know, it just feels like there's a couple of just kind of lingering questions there and it it almost feels like the movie just like <laughs> it's like this we're already at 3 hours like we don't no, we're not going to get into that. Bond's going to shoot people now. It's going to yeah. be awesome. It's going to be great. Um but yeah, i, I feel like Saffan um once he completes his main objective of killing Spectre and killing Blofeld after that, it's a little it's a little more vague than I would like. And I don't need him to just flat out spell out his motivations like a an old old school Bond villain would. I don't need the the monologue while Bond is tied to a laser table or whatever. But It'd
0: be kind of fun though. It
1: would have been kind of fun. Um, especially with Robbie Malik. <laughs> but um you know, I think they could have written in some opportunities for, for Safin to do that elsewhere. But yeah, that's that's it. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm sure as we'll get into it, there's there's probably small stuff. I mean, this movie's got a lot of moving pieces. It's very big. It's very long. But I think in kind of the best possible way, I loved every second of it. It goes by really fast. Um, but yeah, I I really like this movie. This is, uh, I'll, I'll think it over. This is definitely in my top five Bond movies, if not like top three.
0: I uh Yeah, I I will I will pick it up from there. I <clears throat> ever I've I've talked about my experiences with all the Bond movies on this podcast in the past, but in summary I do not like the franchise overall very much. Uh <laughs> I've not really connected with many of the, I think Casino Royale and Skyfall I enjoy fairly well on their own. Um I think I've kind of gone back and forth on which one I really Prefer. I, I want to say I maybe swapped their grades at some point so that I because I decided I Casino Royale had aged better in my mind. But You came like, over to the light. <laughs> yeah. Everything before that had some high spots. Uh I'm I'm mostly thinking of some like the Roger Moore fun stuff that happens. Um But like I was not a huge fan of a lot of cotteries, shenanigans, and the 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 movies he was participating in um and and like anything after roger moore i feel like just kind of slowly phased out of my brain as i was watching it uh so i have no real connection to a lot of the franchise and and uh, you can probably hear it if you go back and listen to some of those podcast episodes with me you can you can tell i'm i'm ready to be done with it uh and I think this movie struck me in a way that none of those movies did. Like that, I I genuinely felt a a strong emotional connection to this, and I don't think I could say that about any of the other Bond movies. Like for me, for me, this is my favorite Bond movie. Um, as someone who does not have the attachment or nostalgia for the franchise. Um, which is, I feel like I'm, I'm in a unique spot to say that because uh, I doubt many people who don't have some sort of attachment have watched every single <laughs> Uh I think at a certain point, most people would, would not power through that. So yeah. uh, I feel that way I, about I, the
3: Halloween franchise. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I did my time. Um,
1: but at the same so, time, now you have some kind of authority to speak about it where you're like, no, Halloween like, Kills is that bad. <laughs> You're not going to convince me otherwise. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, Same with Quantum of Solace. Uh, I haven't seen Quantum of Solace since we watched it. At this point, I would probably watch Quantum of Solace and be like, that is a average Bond movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, I really, really enjoyed this. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and say my worst thing is not really a worst thing, but it is that the movie is long and I watched this movie two or three months ago whenever it came out. Um, And so a lot of it was still on my mind. I'd actually like started it with other people a few times uh, who, because the movie is long, had never (laughs) finished it. Uh, But so I like, especially the intro, I kind of had to just be like, Oh, yep. Been, been here before. Um, So it, it took a while to get through. I think if I revisit this, a few years from now, same with like the dark Knight. or the dark Knight, I, I sometimes it, it cools in my brain. I'm like, eh, you know, that's, that's a good movie, but everyone says it's amazing. Is it really that great? And then I watch it and I'm like, this is the greatest movie <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, I don't know if I'll, I'll, quite be there with no time to die, but I think I'll be, if I revisit this in a few years, I'll be like, man, this is really good. Um, so it was a little hard for me to like get into and really find why, like remember exactly why I loved it so much. Um, but, my best thing, which kind of hooked me back in, finally, about two-thirds of the way through the movie, is uh, Bond having a daughter. I think that it is such a good, interesting... It's a it's a twist, and it's not even really... Like, it's not until the very end that they really consider the emotional impact of that on Bond. Uh, and the fact that he clearly understands that this girl is his daughter uh, with Leah sadu but uh what is her name in the movie? Why have I Madeline. already forgotten this? Madeline, there we go. Um you got Madeline and Matilde. Matilde, yes. Uh Bond kind of makes the connection right away. He's like, "Oh, she has my eyes." Like, that's that's got to be my daughter. Uh but he protects her in a way that's just like this is a small child who's been caught up in the, like suddenly <laughs> suddenly I have to take things more seriously than i usually do and i I, i'm less like cavalier about the way i'm approaching this um that entire car chase uh yeah forest fight saga uh as as everyone's trying to hunt him down and and he kills logan ash by throwing a car on him Mm -hmm. uh it's it's great and super tense because the entire time you're like what's good what's where are you going with this movie uh and then of course uh Madeline and Matilda get captured and taken to Safin's place, and that becomes a whole other sequence of, oh geez, how's Bond get <clears throat> gonna get everyone out of this? This is stressful. I I want everyone to be okay at the end of this. Um, all leading up to like the the shot of Bond standing there, looking out at the the sunset as the missiles come down, with the little stuffed bunny on his belt. That is spectacular there's there's several really great shots in this movie and we can talk some about like just how good the movie looks overall but that is like that's yeah. that's perfect that's that's exactly how you nail that kind of thing and then of course the end of the movie is uh madeline and mattill driving off a la on her Majesty's secret service yes that ends with uh them driving off and then tracy Diana Rigg gets shot, yes. Yeah, but it's also Am supposed
1: I... to mirror the opening where they, they bond and Madeline go to uh, right. Matera. But is it, I feel like all of that is like... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be an homage to Honor Master's Ref- yeah. Secret Service because it then has the uh, uh, Louis Armstrong we have all the time in the yes. world playing, yeah. which is from that movie. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: So a very nice kind of twist of, of fate of, no, not this time Bond's the one who dies, but that means that these these two, the, this, this woman and this girl get to... Uh, kind of go on and, and live a life and, and be free of all of the horrors that followed him throughout his years
1: this so. this killer's ultimate like gift the ultimate thing that goes lasts beyond him as a family yeah yeah it was very sweet and also I <laughs> I, I love the bit where she's like I'm gonna tell you a story Matilde uh, his name was Bond James Bond I'm gonna have to omit several key details until you're older okay <laughs> <laughs> Is that it, Tyler? Yep. Uh,
3: yeah, I'm going to echo Alex, and my, my, or, or kind of, similarly, my best thing is Daniel Craig. Uh, I think there's a lot of good performances in the movie, but, like, Daniel Craig really brings it. This is the most human I've seen James Bond in by any actor. And that's not a drag on the other actors who have played him. Like, Timothy Dalton's a great actor, but, like, this movie, I think, gives the most room for James Bond to feel human and he's very funny in a way that is not. Alex and I were talking about this before the podcast. There's one moment where he does a Roger Moore style quip that totally works, but mm-hmm. otherwise he's like funny and he's Daniel Craig being funny. Like, and I like seeing that Daniel Craig can be funny not doing a broad Southern accent, like in Logan Lucky <laughs> or uh, Knives Out, which he's great in both those movies, but I thought he was quite funny. And I thought that just the way he plays, like talking to, uh, uh, Rami Malik about yeah this is what we do we go in and we don't have anything and we we wish we had more information and but we, we just want a chance like that was this very like what the character always deals with speech and I don't know it's just it's a really strong performance I do think it's one of the stronger performances I've seen from Daniel Craig just in movies but easily the best performance that he's given as Bond and that I think as an actor has given as Bond um I just really really liked everything he did throughout the movie. Even down to there's a shot where I think it's on when Ana de Armas is going to like help him change and he's like I've I've got it. I think they they show his open shirt and he doesn't have like a like a rippling six-pack and like this big barrel chest that he just looks like a guy. And maybe this is me projecting, but like I feel like that's what I was seeing and I thought that was awesome. <laughs> the movie was like well, yeah, he's out of active service. Like, it's okay. There is
1: a brief scene towards the beginning where he's in Jamaica, where he's showering, no, and, he's still and then like, he walks away, and no. you're like, oh, he's, he worked out. Yeah, no,
3: he's still built, <laughs> yeah. But, uh but yeah, I just, I thought Daniel Craig was wonderful in it. And yeah. uh yeah, my worst thing is Ray Fine's haircut. I just thought it looked silly. <laughs> That's it. I don't have other worst things. This is fair. I, have, I, is fair. I wonder if maybe, because I'll be honest, I kind of. I don't literally forget that Rami Malik is in the movie, but I don't think about him being in the movie because I think that, and I, this is the right call, but this movie is so dedicated to sending Daniel Craig out on a high note and sending that version of James out. I feel like the villain never, the villain is just, he's there. He is there to engineer yeah. the scenarios for Bond to get out of, but it's really about Bond. And, right. So in a way, I think Rami Malek, who I think does a nice job, doesn't get to mm-hmm. get get to do maybe as much as if he had been the villain in a Skyfall, or then I think he would have had more if this were just another Bond adventure. But since this is the closing of this book, I think it feels like Bond overshadows the villain, and that's not a shame, but like,
1: eh, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting because. The way most Bond movies are built, they're plot-driven. Right. They're not character-driven. And I feel like this, more so than any of the others, aside from maybe Skyfall to a certain degree, is very character-driven. Um, And I think that's... that's uh, Typically when you think of Bond movies, you think of the certain kind of tropes or the elements right. and oftentimes that is the case where the villain overshadows Bond and it's like I remember Goldfinger because of Goldfinger. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Um I remember Tomorrow Never Dies because of Jonathan Price. Yeah. Um and this is like one of those flips where it's like okay, you would think like the villain not overshadowing Bond would actually be a bad thing, but it's in this case at least it is yeah. quite the opposite. <laughs>
3: Yeah, because I would I would I think I would feel weirder if I left that movie being like, yeah, it was Daniel Craig's last time as Bond and I'm only thinking about this other actor. Yeah. So. I was going to say, I have not seen Spectre since I think
0: we watched it last for the podcast and I have no idea. I mean, that would have been five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. Quite a while. When did Spectre come out? 2015. 2015. Are we doing the podcast then?
1: No, we started early. Tw- we started we... Uh, March 2016.
0: That's right. That's right. So maybe we did it. So I probably haven't seen it since. Yeah, we one of the first like 15 episodes of the podcast. Yeah. Um, so I I don't remember. And I don't, I haven't really seen many of Craig's. I probably caught Craig's other movies on on TV here and there and stuff. But um I definitely feel like there is elements of Roger Moore that Daniel Craig is channeling here. Uh, it feels like a, a nuanced performance that kind of incorporates some of that. Um, I don't know what the best word for it is. Um, being a little bit like lackadaisical and, and being, uh, a little more, more, more free, uh, which again, makes sense for the character. It makes sense for him to have loosened up and, and be, be a little more, uh, capricious, I suppose. Uh, has has that come up in any of his other movies like do you do you feel like that that's something that has popped up before because to me it feels like a deliberate choice to channel some of that energy and i i mean being like personally a huge fan of true detective season one as an example i feel like that there's a good chance that that is him working with carrie fukunaga yeah uh so i don't know i was curious what your thoughts were on that
1: yeah, Spectre does have it. Does start to to uh, jump on like Roger Moore Bondisms a little bit. Like I, I think of uh, you know, there's the bit uh, where Bond's driving the fancy Aston Martin. He's getting chased by Dave Batista and like the car's not fully functional. Like none of the gadgets work. And then there's the scene where the the guy like he's driving down an alleyway, and the guy cuts in front of him. It's the old guy, in, like the little tiny car and bond mm-hmm. has to like push him into the the parking space or whatever and the, the airbag goes off um and then there's the bit at the end of that where bond parachutes out of the aston martin and there's like a street sweeper that he lands next to and he's just like good evening and then he just walks away um hmm. so yeah specter does start to get into that a little okay. bit i think just because of the nature of that movie and kind of just the way sam Minda shoots his movies I don't think it works, and it kind of feels more distracting. Um, I think, and I should say, this one feels a, a lot better in terms of just balancing tone properly yeah. with those moments. Like you get to the end of that that final stairway sequence, and Bond says it really blew his mind, and Very it's awesome, glorious. <laughs> well, it's it's specifically
0: I was showing someone your watch, which alone is like oh that's kind of funny yeah, yeah he was
3: so and then it really blew his mind and the way he delivers that and the mm-hmm. the pacing oh it's good context for um, the li- context for the listener this is bond has a a watch that is to, dis- to disable shortwave like devices and stuff yeah it's an emp watch it's an emp <laughs> Br- watch britain
1: care to explain what an emp does
3: <laughs> it's like a um it's like if you're playing like a tower defense game and you have uh like a a a you see the the radius of your attack and it's like a big circle. You do that with electricity. Am I close? I haven't I don't yeah. <laughs> clearly don't pay attention to yeah. movies.
1: It's not that far basically. off.
3: <laughs> it's basically um a big like whoosh that turns off all your microwaves. But the anyway, uh sorry. Um the person he's gotten a chokehold has a bionic eye. And so then he does the thing with the watch and the guy's eye, the guy's like bionic eye explodes. It's awesome.
1: And the movie's able Um, to get away with not just that gag, but you've got bionic eyes. You've got nanobots as our big MacGuffin and mm -hmm. none of it feels wrong. It all feels like it comfortably fits inside this movie and it comfortably fits inside the Daniel Craig movie. Somehow it's, it's, fascinating to me how fukunaga is able to balance that tone of like Mm -hmm. no i'm gonna insert more goofy stuff and it's gonna work yeah yeah it's not gonna feel
0: goofy it's just gonna be like
1: there's such a confidence to it and i just i admire the heck out of it very impressive i
3: I don't know i I know that phoebe waller bridge came in and touched up the script yeah i don't know to what i I doubt she just came in and you know wrote jokes and women like i doubt that was all she contributed because she's a very smart, gifted writer, but I—I I wonder if that also just helped that she was able to find a way to ground some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, yep. I would imagine a lot of it was just dialogue polishing because she's sure. very, she's very good at that. Regardless of if it's jokes or just like exposition, because I'm, I'm, I'm just. I'm thinking of the wrong way that that series of scenes where M and Bond kind of butt heads and then Mm -hmm. Bond leaves and they go to Q's apartment and then Bond goes to talk to M again and then they go back into his office to talk nanobots. I'm imagining that string of scenes just being the most boring, incomprehensible mess. Yeah. And it's fun. It's all great. (laughs) Yeah.
3: I I imagine she contributed a lot to this movie. Um, Yeah into the things that work about it Tyler what what, what were you gonna say
0: oh I was just gonna say to my original point I should say the reason I uh bring that up is to say I have I watched all of the Bond movies pre-2002 uh before or in between the last time I (laughs) like sat down and watched a Daniel Craig Bond movie so I would not have caught any like oh is this a him playing to the original performance in those original Craig movies because I wouldn't have had a reference for him, right? So I was just curious about that. But yeah, I think there, like, there's a bit where he uh, tells Q that they make cats with fur now, you know, <laughs> yeah, or something like that. that there's because he has some hairless cats. There's there's good little bits here and there Um that are a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, definitely. I I, I remember before we did the we watched it, you guys had told me, oh, Britain, there's some stuff towards the end that you're gonna really flip Four, and I was like oh I wonder what that'll be and then I realized this podcast knows I love a long take and there's a long stairway fight scene that's a long take and I loved it because I especially love when you don't realize at first that it's a long take and then you're a few minutes in and you're like this is the same shot he's still punching (laughs) those guys and it was just so like smooth and like clunky like clunky in a human way that like Bond was falling down and getting back up but, but it was so like precise and oh it's so great
0: and it's a great they they kind of revisit how the beginning of the movie a grenade blows up yeah. or a grave i guess blows up in his face and then he loses hearing for a bit and he looks awful and you know smeared in dirt and grainy uh and is having to like stumble his way to recovery while fighting off all these dudes um and then we kind of end up in the same spot at the end of the movie uh calling back to that of like oh yes he's very human and infallible yeah. and uh, the, ultimately his body is giving out here.
1: Right. <laughs> like. I, I think this is the best action of any Bond movie. I think this is just so consistently high caliber. I mean, just the Matera sequence, the, the opening alone where yep. you've got the explosion at Vesper's grave, which I want to talk about the Vesper's grave. Cause I, that is a beautiful scene to kind of wrap all that up. And it's so brief and perfect. Um, But then you get into Bond being chased on that bridge. Then he has to like dive off and grab a cable and swing. Um, Thank God they didn't insert a Tarzan yell. That would have been very odd. Um, Then he gets on. (laughs) He gets into a fight with Primo and he grabs the motorbike and like just the way it escalates. And then they get into the Aston Martin and just. The scene where Bond and, and Madeline are just sitting there in the Aston Martin and Bond's contemplating what to do because he thinks Madeline has just betrayed him. Um, and all of the Spectre goons are kind of uh, swarming them and shooting at the car. And then he just does a donut and shoots at them with mini guns. It's <laughs> the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> I love it. Um, but more yeah, that, question, Yeah, sorry,
3: yeah. quick question about Vesper. The... Her grave said... She lived from 1983 to 2006. Does that mean she was 23 in Casino Royale? Because I know that that movie was 17 years ago, uh, 16 years ago. But, like, I don't know that Ava Green was 23 when they made that movie, my dude. I don't know.
1: I'm going to check her age. I mean, no no big deal.
3: Like, that's fine. But it was just this moment of, like, I think, guys. We can say Ava Green was
1: whatever age she was, but I don't know, ageism and whatnot. I mean, they might have just messed that up. I, uh, apparently, she was 26. Okay. Well, all right. Well, that's go. Crow, then. I know what she that is. She was 26 in 2006, so. My bad, my bad. I don't know if that makes it, sense well, for Vesper, a... the character, to be 23, but. You know, yeah, but, uh, but th- that's a... not the kind of disparity that, yeah.
0: Was there a Bond movie that came out in 1986 that, like, is that a reference? Is 83
3: or 83 or something
1: it was a reference to uh, A View to a Kill because that's when Roger Moore realized he was too old and needed to quit. <laughs> <laughs> maybe
0: so. Maybe so. Uh, um. Okay, well, that that so, clears me up then. Well, get, Alex, talk about the Vesper's Grave yeah. thing because I, I then we're we're all done with the Vesper's thing, right? Yeah. We're 35 minutes in. We're probably done oh, yeah. right? I've no, um, well been done. Talk about that, and then I want to kind of get into some of the plot mechanics and just, like, talk them through because i i think this movie i've i've complained before about how spy movies in general they tend to be very uh we're just gonna dash around and and jump between exposition and and throw things everywhere this movie i think makes everything feel very justified in terms of where they go and and what happens from scene to scene and why bond ends up in one place or the other uh but i do i do want to talk through it and see if i do like ultimately the character stuff like you're saying alex covers the the plot stuff in a way that the it's stuff like, that no. has
1: to work does work it's just yes. does the other supporting and material all yes. flow together yeah and and it might
0: i just don't know if it does like i haven't even thought through it so i do want to talk through that some
1: uh just to clarify i'm gonna check on the year of view to a kill came out because i'm curious if I'm, <laughs> I'm right on that or not in 1985 all right so i, I messed it up we're mm. it's fine we're all fine so there was
0: not a there was not a 1986
1: Bond but was there a 1983 one because that's the original question <laughs>
0: No, but the but it's from 1986 to no, the the her grave site said 83 to to, oh yeah okay okay okay, so yes, is there an 83 Bond
1: movie? I guess that would have been Octopussy. There it is. Oh snap! Is there? There's no connection that I can
0: think of. (laughs) But there is a there is a crocodile sub, so maybe it's a nod specifically to here come the. There
3: it is. Maybe it's specifically not to us.
1: <laughs> they were subconsciously <laughs> trying to get this conversation going. Let me, get the,
3: let, me, let me add that to the IMDB trivia. Get us some listens.
1: <laughs> uh, I Fouca- love the whole setup with them getting there and Madeline purposefully being like, you need to go see Vesper's grave um, before we move on and have a future. You need to kind of confront this one thing that's kind of haunted you and kind of the reason why you've stuck with the life that you have for so long. Um, you need to go confront that. And I, I love just, it's such a creative bit that it's just, it feels, it's just one of those just wonderful storytelling touches. That's like, I've never seen that before of just in this city, they have a yearly celebration where they write down their secrets or desires or whatever on paper, and then they just burn them. It's a little convenient that they show up right when that's happening, but I love it. They Um, knew it was paper day. So they they knew it was paper day. That's that's the official name of the holiday, right? It's paper day. (laughs) Uh, But Bond goes and he goes to the Acropolis, which apparently is a reference to the Honor Majesty Secret Service novel. Um, Apparently in the book, it's briefly mentioned that he makes a yearly uh, pilgrimage to Vesper's grave in Mm. that. And so I, I think that's a really nice touch that once again, it's kind of the, the cool thing that when the bond movies work, they're able to pull references from the source material and use them in really compelling ways. Um, but he goes to Vesper's grave and Hans Zimmer, my man, he really pulled out all the stops for this one. Yeah. Um, but he brings mm-hmm. back all the right stuff. Um, he brings back Vesper's theme from Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. And like just the way it's, it's just so subtle The way it's played and just there's that shot, it's like a, it's it's a wide shot of Bond just standing there and like the, the sand or the dirt underneath him gets blown away and he's just standing there facing her grave and it's just really sad and all he says is I miss you and then he burns the piece of paper that says forgive me and that just says... So much about him and his relationship with Vesper as a character, and just the way that kind of tidies that all up. I love it. I, I think that's just, it's so perfect. Like, I don't, it's kind of like the, the X-Cross at the end of Logan. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just like, whoever thought of that, like, give them all the money. That's just <laughs> so... That if that feels like a moment that as a Daniel Craig Bond fan that feels like a scene that was specifically written for somebody like me, <laughs> <laughs> and then the the grave blows up because there's a little Specter business card, and then we get into a wonderful action scene. So
0: yeah,
3: um, I I real quick when while we're talking about Hans Zimmer, I, I like I, I caught I think I caught a few times the uh how what is it the world is not enough theme i think i heard that song in there the uh, i may have been imagining it but i thought i heard it a few times
1: yeah i think it's kind of hard to tell because he's i mean he's definitely using the no time to die billy eilish theme in there in places yeah um i don't know a lot of that might just be bond themes kind of all sound the same to a certain degree yeah um, he is He's also pulling somewhere. from some other Hans Zimmer scores. Like, I heard a little bit sure. of Dark Knight in places. I heard a little bit of Pirates of the Caribbean in places. Yeah, I got a little Hakuna Matata in there. For <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, specifically uh, at the end where Bond dies, it's just all <laughs> of Hakuna, <Madonna>. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna <laughs> oh, <woo! laughs> Matata. Uh, I,
0: do, I do think when the Bond theme hits in that third act, yeah. uh, uh, when it, when it's really in full swing during some of that fighting, it's it's real good. Yeah, It's, Ooh, yeah. it's like the the most kind of epic i think the themes ever sounded
1: any time you can bring in the bond theme and just use it in really inventive ways like you automatically get yeah. brownie points uh, like i i just love how besides the gun barrel for the most part they hold off on the bond theme until bond until felix dies and yeah. bond returns to london in the aston martin and then it's like bond theme like a punch like yeah. it's great
3: I was so sad good. That, that Felix died because I love Jeffrey Wright so much. But also I realized like, no, they are doing a reset on this character. Yeah. Like we got in, we're, we're going to get a new thing soon. It's okay. Um, yeah. But I, I was just happy to see Jeffrey Wright again because he's awesome. Also talking about the gun barrel, just before I forget it, there was a lot of little references that I loved. One of my favorite shots in the movie, and I rewound this and watched it two or three times, maybe four. It's It's after the one shot, the one take fight up the stairwell and bond is he's coming around a corner and you never even see the guy, but someone shoots at him and it's just this mm. quick cut. And he turns in the tunnel and, and shoots him And it's a, yep. a, a re-invention of the, of the gun sight moment. It's yeah. so good. Yep. Like that, I told it was totally, I totally did the, like the Leo pointing meme. <laughs> and then I just, I,
1: re- I watched it like three or four times. It's so good. If I remember correctly at the end of the first trailer for no time to die, that that is the shot that it ends oh, okay. on. And I remember being like, Oh, they might have done it. They might have made the best movie ever. <laughs> and I
3: really cuz I like when they d- they do the traditional gunside opening at the beginning. It, but then he goes into smoke, which is foreshadowing. Do they yeah. Cuz I know they do the traditional gunside opening in all of his movies except Skyfall cuz he's in front of a window in that one.
1: Which and I thought was Quantum cool. of Solace, they don't because okay, that movie okay. does everything wrong. Shh, I liked Christ. I liked it in Skyfall cuz I think that yeah. was Roger Deakins being like, "Wait, wait, 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 I have a better idea." Well, <laughs> okay, I mean, Roger uh, Deakins in, in fairness, at least both of those movies use it at the end. So they use sure. it leading into the credits. So that's something. Yeah. Totally. Um. It, it is a nice touch also that normally the gun barrel, it bond shoots and then like blood, yeah, the blood. drips down the screen. But yeah. this time it doesn't, which right. once again, Britton, I think that feeds into it's supposed to be foreshadowing right, because immediately right. we focus in on, oh, Saffin's walking through the woods.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. What, um, what did we think of Billie Eilish's song? The
0: it's good, yeah, it's I a like good, it. it's a
3: good earworm. No, I yeah, think it I actually well. did like it, and I liked the, all the imagery and stuff. I thought that was pretty. I tend to like mm-hmm. that part of Bond movies anyway. But most of the
1: Craig themes take a while to grow on me. I think the only one that I immediately was like, "Yep, love that." Was the Chris Cornell one from Casino Royale? Yeah, like yeah. even Skyfall. I remember listening to that because I think they released it on YouTube like several months ahead of the movie. And I remember listening to that and being like, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but then of course, over time, and then you, you hear it in the context of the movie, and you're like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever listened to. Um. So yeah, I, I, I really, really like it. And I think definitely the Oscar nomination is well-deserved. Yeah. And then again, they use it as they weave in that music into the score, which right. I love
3: my mom and I were talking about the Oscar nominations earlier and I did not know this but apparently she wrote that song with her brother Um, and she said I can't imagine you and your sister sitting down to write a song together (laughs) all three of us on this podcast have sisters and I just don't think any of us can imagine like Alex you saw this movie with your sister
1: right Alex Alexina I think is her name Yes, that is her name. That yep. is that is officially her name. She I'm has. Sorry. She also has crocodile business cards with that printed. Right, on it. right. She she has an alligator sub, but <laughs> I, I, I uh, with a bow
3: on it and eyelashes. But I, I assume <laughs> that during the song, you leaned over to her and said, "We could write a better song than this. <laughs> Come on, sis, let's show
1: them." <laughs> Britain, were you sitting behind us? Did, yep. you, you really picked up picked up what we're saying really well yeah it was me
3: the whole time (laughs) alex i think it's time to reveal i'm cubby broccoli (laughs) (laughs) i knew you've won his chocolate factory (laughs) (laughs) you've won my vegetable garden (laughs) i am truly the author of all your pain uh pretty
0: much um i want to talk about the plot please so The idea is that uh, the British intelligence is funding a, a secret DNA weapon, yes, nanobot weapon. And that there's a guy, Obrachev is working on this. Who
1: is a Roger Moore character who should totally oh, ruin really? this movie, and he's delightful.
0: That's funny. Well, yeah, what was he He's, in? he's fun and, and twisted no no he's
1: not actually in a roger moore movie i'm saying he is a roger moore character oh
0: i I also thought you were
1: saying that was like a reference to okay Okay. no like Um, like i'm almost that's almost like when you're entering the writer's room of like what if we inserted jw pepper into this movie what would happen
0: there's there's a really great bit with him where he's swapping the the dna from james bond to the specter family families uh which we'll talk about in a second, and then he he does it where he's like, "Oh no, I dropped the the DNA. Let me go pick this up." And like he's very careful, and the bionic eye guy is just kind of sitting there like, "Whatever, I don't." Yeah, like there's no yeah. tension to, to whether or not he's going to pull off the swap. I, I like there's, he just there's a joke
3: early on where he's on the phone with the bad guys at his job trying to pretend like he doesn't. Like it's secret. He's like, yes, okay. So, and then to cover up the phone call at the end, he goes, Yes, I like animals. And then he
1: hangs up. Very good. Which is apparently an improv from him. Oh, he really? did like several funny. different takes, and that's the one that went with I think that's so funny.
3: Okay. So he's like, I know how to seal this deal. Uh that's pretty okay, good. Okay, so, so um, I go on.
0: But yeah, uh Overchev is has been like hired by Safin to ultimately do a thing. And it turns out that Spectre knows about this, and they're stealing it to kill James Bond. Yes. And then...
1: At Blofeld's secret uh, birthday party.
0: At at Blofeld's Spectre's birthday party.
1: Another Roger Moore-type plot device that should end in disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Or Arkham Asylum. (laughs) Sure. Uh, And
0: then... So felix and logan ash and logan ash is working with safin uh then show up to recruit bond to help get Oberchef back so i guess this is this is my maybe my first question do they know that does safin know that james bond is gonna be the attempt is gonna be on james bond's life and then he tries to he knows that bond can help him get over out of there after killing specter.
1: I don't know exactly that. I'm, I'm fuzzy.
0: Yeah. I believe that, that,
1: that Safin is aware that specter is trying to, to kill James Bond. And that's, um, it, it's a little vague how exactly the plot gets started because they, we don't really talk about how Oberchev knows Safin and it's just like, he knows him and he's working yeah. with MI six. Um, So a lot of that, I can kind of be like, well, Saffin's got resources. Spectre's got resources. They know things. It's fine. But I guess my question would be, did he was the did he
0: know this? And instead of. I guess it's just like a fun. Coincidence. How how would Spectre have gotten James Bond to the party without Oberchev and Logan Ash? Or do Oberchef and Logan Ash, or really just Logan Ash, does, does he, because he is part of Safin, they're inside of Spectre, and so he's like, hey, I'm your mole on the inside, I'm going to get you James Bond, and then actually I'm going to use that as an excuse to kill all of you. Is that, I guess maybe I can kind of no-prize well, that together.
1: Well, all I know... With regards to that, is that in the uh, the Jamaica scene where uh, Bond and uh, Book of Mormon and Felix are all mm-hmm. kind of laying out the exposition for what the mission is, Primo is there. And at this point, he's still a Spectre agent. So he's kind of keeping an eye on them. So I assume mm. he's got, he's kind of keeping track of everything and making sure that it's all go- going according to plan. And he's also there to get Bond's fingerprints so that they can use Heracles on him, seemingly. Right.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: There's a little there, there's some there's quite a bit of double crossing going on there I
0: guess right. but well, especially it, it, cuz it tracks me all right I,
1: at a certain point and I, I I mean I was I remember on a first watch I, I I was so confused about Primo's loyalties Because it's a very quick, the scene where Q's looking into the bionic eye because it connects Blofeld and Primo, and it shows Logan Ash visiting him to be like, you want to work for Safin? Safin's pretty cool. I heard Blofeld's dead. Safin's cool, right? Safin. (laughs) And it's like, it's like a 10 second scene. So, yeah, it is, it'll, it is a little, uh, vague to kind of get the plot rolling, but I mean, to I like to be fair, in Spectre they do establish that uh, the organization has basically infiltrated like governments and all sorts of criminal enterprises. So I right. guess you could argue they have contacts in MI6. They know what they're up to. They know uh, what the CIA is up to.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Could have been. Uh, could have been Spectre that. Uh, Fed those leaks to uh, Felix and uh, Book of Mormon in the first place to be like, eh, we've got this special event yeah. going on with Oberchev over in uh, in uh, uh, Cuba. Yeah. Only one man yeah. can stop us. <laughs> <laughs> that works well enough. And then I think from
0: there, everything kind of <clears throat> falls into place. That was really my, my first thing because it's basically we we start with the the stuff in italy uh we we jump later bond and and the stuff in italy gets bond doesn't trust madeline anymore because he is a traumatized uh survivor of betrayal uh for one and then also blofeld kind of sets her up to to make it look like she like
1: at one point they try calling her while they're trying to escape Um, I love the She pulls out her phone and it turns from Just like the normal display and a Spectre Logo pops up (laughs) That should not work in the Daniel Craig movies and it does
0: (laughs) And But yeah then we jump to Bonds in Jamaica And then he goes to Cuba Mm -hmm. And then he goes to he, He gets away from the boat Where Felix gets killed by Logan Ash And goes to London, and then there's a gr- another great shot where in London, I think it might be the first shot we really see of it of London. It's it's tracking along the rooftops, and then it it pans down so that like the camera g- does a ninety degree angle where it's it's flat looking at rooftops, and then it points straight down onto the street, and we see Bond's car driving along. Mm, yeah, and, like the entire time the camera is moving like along. The direction of the street it's it's really cool to see like it's just a, it's just a really creative inventive way to kind of introduce this environment
1: I'm, I'm i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna have to pause the conversation right here just to say that i personally think this is the best looking bond movie um yep. sam mendez uh roger deakins eat your heart out i think this looks <laughs> better than skyfall <laughs> um, it's, take that I, one of the best cinematographers of all time yeah I love Blade Runner 2049. Um, Well deserved. Um, But I, I, this is kind of what I want from a Bond movie in terms of there's yeah. an eloquence to it. And there's also an energy. I feel like just the action scenes are just, are laid out in a way that's more effective to me than either of Sam Mendez's movies. And I think that's something that even when we, back when we reviewed those, that was something I kind of resisted in terms of, I recognize how these are pretty images, but I'm not, they're not exciting me. I'm not getting invested in them in the way that I feel like I should.
3: Um, I looked up... Linus Sandgren is the DP on this. and I mean, as any cinematographer, his, his career is varied, but he did shoot First Man and La La Land. So, ah. pretty good. Pretty good. Also, don't look up. Um, <laughs> uh, but I... Don't look up what? Ayo. Uh, but I will look up uh, the movie screen when he's behind the camera. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless it's don't unless. It's, don't, don't. Um, I, 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 I had a thing in my oh, Alex, am I? There, there was a, I, what I thought was a reference the sort of garden esque sort of indoor pond place where that feels like a reference to another Bond movie, but I cannot remember specifically who the villain was. It Moonraker or something. But I feel like there was another similar style location.
1: It's pulling bits and pieces from different uh, Bond media. The Garden of Death is specifically from one of the books. Yeah, yeah. that is from the final Blofeld book. You only live twice, which uh, still has some culturally problematic elements, but not nearly as bad as the movie, which is weird to say. (laughs) Um, And that that book handles Bond's character and just. Blofeld a lot better than most of the films um but yeah so Blofeld basically after Bond defeats him in Honor Majesty's Secret Service and uh Blofeld kills Bond's wife he then escapes to this Japanese island and he kind of takes it over and he's growing poisons and and yeah. there's this thing called the Garden of Death um so they're obviously pulling from that but then also I I, I do think that they're pulling a little bit from some of the um Ken adams productions um and Ken adams designed a lot of these sets from the okay. earlier bond movies. so specifically moonraker like those okay, big yeah. lavish locations where hugo drax is and he's That's got like all of his minions of. and stuff yeah it's pulling from that there's a lot of doctor no in this as well yes um when Oberchev and kind of his co-worker are both they're uh kind of putting heracles together for primo um they're wearing like these plastic uh ventilation suits um that are just straight out of dr no um okay who has the big water base
0: where where is that from uh there's probably a number of them what what there's one that's like it's sitting it it's like sitting on the water i remember it being one of the movies i enjoyed
1: more spy who Um, loved me i think cuz he's got yes. it it's called Atlantis but it kind of comes up out yes. of the water. It's like this yes. big uh black platform thing with like these giant legs. I feel like aesthetically I got vibes of that. Sure. Or just Yeah. Especially when Bond's like just running down tunnels and stuff, it kind of looks like that. Yeah. yeah. I just google and I the the Spy Who
3: Loved Me Atlanta, Atlantis base. Um and it does look like black mantis helmet with legs. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Then that 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 makes sense. Then, because yeah, that that lair it was like it's not the same design, but it's clearly
1: alluding to yeah those things. And neat. I just really love that they finally make the climax of one of these Bond, these Daniel Craig Bond movies. We got a bad guy lair, and Bond's gonna go to it and shoot everybody
3: <laughs> oh when they when they said like a sub like a a submarine like underwater like dock yeah. or something i was like oh this is a james bond movie all right <laughs> here we go <laughs> we are in it <laughs> um so i really liked I'll, I'll, I'll run through a couple of the other characters uh ben wishaw always good to see him love ben wishaw he's great yep um Obviously, I love Jeffrey Wright. Good to see you Naomi Harris again after last week. Um, nice, nice to see. You I back feel like in we form. should mention uh,
0: Q is confirmed to be gay. In He's confirmed
3: to be gay. Th- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: it's kind of just a one-off line, unless I'm. It's missing like it blink and
3: episode. you miss it. Yeah. So you know, I think Ben Wishaw said recently that he was like, I I remember reading a, a little brief quote of his, and he was like, I kind of wish I had pushed for there to be more of that. But also, I don't really know what I would have wanted it because of the type of movie it was. Yeah. And I think he was trying to be generous to be like, it would be weird if in the middle of this James Bond movie, we just stopped and had a 15-minute subplot about Q's love life. Yeah. But I can also see him being like, because Ben Wishaw gay, being like, I don't know, I don't want to just hand wave it. <laughs> so it feels yeah. like kind of a tough I thing. Also, give the
0: people what they want. I want a 15-minute scene where we get we figure out what what's up with q's love life like honestly well you know that
1: that. the version of that would be like uh, q and his boyfriend are having a date while money penny and bond are trying to figure out something (laughs) in the background yes that would be Q's boyfriend is the one that like he says something and they're like wait say that again (laughs) there we go there we go
3: (laughs) all right cracked the
1: case well um i think ultimately i i was not really bothered by it mostly because i think we've seen more egregious examples of this rise of skywalker and Uh, i like that it's just it's it's something that it's one of our main like supporting players somebody who has been in multiple movies he has a lot of screen time people like this character and i i think it just helps to normalize it yeah yeah um and definitely you know if there is an opportunity like in future movies to have more of that yeah definitely not opposed Yeah, yeah um this movie already has a lot going on as is. So right. and,
3: yeah. yeah. And I think that might've been kind of what I wish I was getting at was like, yeah, that, that kind of paradox. Cause it's not like fantastic beasts where that's supposed to be a plot point and they just won't really <laughs> <laughs> address it. Uh, Britain, what a Britain, let's, let's, let's focus on <laughs>
1: one main British franchise right now. And by that, I mean, don't get Tyler started on fantastic beasts. The crimes <laughs> of Grindelwald.
3: Don't do that All to right. him again. Yeah. <laughs> well then I'll talk of, of happier things, which
1: is Anna <laughs> de Armas. She's great. Uh-huh. she's she is great in this Absolutely, that whole Cuba scene so I know fun. from a, a lot of Bond fans like the people that don't like this movie still point to that and go that is the best thing in the movie that entire yeah. scene oh it's um, so much fun she was yeah. great I I really like that because it would
3: have been so easy for Hollywood to be like Ana you're just going to be the hot girl and stuff that's all you're going to do
1: you're going to really the like,
3: Denise Richards
1: of this movie
3: <laughs> right but I really like that because of you know gigs like later in 2049 and then knives out people went oh she's like she is talented (laughs) like she is a good actor and she has range and i like that she gets to be comic relief but not in a way that feels insulting to her character like i don't get the vibe like her character's not dumb she's not like the airhead she she's just a really excited newbie who's also very capable and they have this great little team up and it's kind of flirty, but not really. And then they go off on their own, their adventures. Like I well, thought it was then, really well
1: staged. I like um, how they hint at more being there for her character where, you know, yeah. she, she jokes about like, I've had three weeks training. Right. And then she starts shooting everyone. And there's that wonderful moment where after Bond crashes it down into the bar and he just kind of gets up and has to shake off glass. He's yeah. like three weeks training. Really? <laughs> and she's just like, more or less. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but she has a there's a great aerial shot of her laying on the ground just like getting the guys while she's like twisting on the it's so good but i liked her a lot and i really
1: liked uh lashana lynch in this as well i want okay i i I still want there to be more bond movies and i appreciate that they have james bond will return at the very end like you have to wait till the end credits like the very end and i'll get into some of the fan reactions because i think they're amusing um but I would be okay with like kind of having a splinter series of just the two of them going off on adventures. Oh, of her and Onodarumis. Yes. yes, and oh, I yeah. think that's that's something that I think the, the Bond franchise has been kind of sorely missing. And I don't necessarily mean in terms of like we need to spin off uh, Jinx or we need to spin off Michelle Yeoh's character, although that would have been cool too. Um, but specifically the fact that you have Bond and Felix. And most of the movies just don't do anything fun with that. Um, Most of the time, Felix just shows up, gives some exposition and leaves. (laughs) Um, So at least like in these movies, you have Jeffrey Wright and he's Jeffrey Wright. So every scene he's in is wonderful and they give him really good dialogue. Um, But I, I feel like in terms of Bond teaming up with somebody and they just go on a mission and it's like a fun buddy cop thing. That, that would be something fresh for for this series if they're looking for new directions. Yeah. Well, and I, I really loved
3: how they played the... She constantly is making these little remarks to Bond about like, oh, does it bother you that I'm 007? Does it bother you that I have your number? But it's never... And, and you get the sense that he is kind of bothered by it, but it's never played as like a, I can't believe they gave a girl my number. Or like, I can't believe sure. a girl is doing this, or specifically that a black woman is doing this, but that it's all like yeah because it's mine (laughs) like it's kind of weird like i kind of miss it and i just like that they never really make it about the gender politics which like it'd be so easy for this movie to drift to bond being like i guess i'm wrong
1: women can make a difference (laughs) (laughs) i I, I don't know i love how all of that is played it is so perfectly done so like it rides the line so well because i i don't know britain if you were kind of aware of this going into it tyler i think we had discussed this everyone was kind of worried about oh, right. her character and like she's the new 007 but that's not right and sjw what you know all yeah, that yeah, stuff yeah. and i i think the movie is just like no she we're just going to make her a character in the story like don't worry yeah. about that and the fact that she doesn't make we, they don't have to make bond into a moron or incompetent in order to make her look better. It's more just, no, they're just both competent agents and they just have opposing, um, goals. Right. Yeah. And And they're, they're
0: hotheaded and
3: like,
1: and they build a rapport. They build a relationship.
3: No, totally. And it's, it's, and this is again, the, the importance of not just having one token character is that you have multiple women in this movie. And so it, like she doesn't she is not the movie's view on on women like every like leah sadu doesn't have to be a kick-butt fighter even though she clearly can hold her own she, uh, but because you you have anna and lashana lynch and they yeah. don't have to be love interests because you also have leah sadu like you have all of these different women filling different roles because when you only have one woman in, in a movie she has to be every woman
0: yeah the fact that there are three women in this James Bond movie. Yeah. And none of them get like, fridged. Yeah, none of them none True. of them get get killed off for the sake of making Bond have a sad. Yeah. Uh and like he only sleeps with one of them. Mm-hmm. And well the fact like, that that's... also
1: with Madeline, we've built up in pre- previous movies right. that she doesn't yeah. like using guns. So once again Britton to your point, we don't have just kind of like stereotypical action heroine who's yeah. just like, I just shoot the guns really good. Aren't yeah. I awesome? Um, she's just like really competent. Like that scene where she um she basically gets Primo on edge and basically like tricks him and is able yeah. to escape her cell because of that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, she's like really clever. She doesn't have to just shoot guns.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well and and it's and that you even add in Mathilde
3: and money penny there are five named like relevant women in this movie which is a, a thing for a bond movie
1: and for a lot of hollywood
3: action movies yeah. you know it's i don't know it, it, it was and it was also neat the movie didn't seem to be patting itself on the back for it the whole time right yes it was just like here are our characters okay let's get into this and then they have you have this again just really cool performances i thought la lynch was just genuinely really good um, i do
0: have I have one minor quibble with Lashawna Lynch's character, which is I think they pushed the 007 gags one line too far uh, because there there's a moment where Bond, I think, like basically Bond after the, the car chase in the forest, uh, he is just totally defeated and like, oh my gosh, I lost this woman I love and, and my daughter, like the, this is... I'm I'm not feeling great right now, um. And he like is genuinely appreciative of uh. What what is her name in the movie? Nomi. Nomi. Okay, yeah. Um, he's genuinely appreciative of of Nomi and like is just like, thanks thanks for helping Double O Seven or I I think that's what is that where he said he calls her Double O Seven. I think so. I kind of feel like they could just leave it there. There's there's one more bit where she's like, hey, I want Bond reinstated oh, as Double O Seven right, right, for right. this mission. I feel like that's a little much on over the top. Like I, I kind of wish it just left it at that and it was like, all right, she's double seven. I, the only thing I can think of is that maybe they really wanted to make sure like, Oh, bond needs to die as double seven.
1: Um, I don't know. I, I kind of I, like that as I'm returning the favor. I like that as, yeah. okay, no, no, no. We're on equal footing now. Like you, you gave your concession. No, I admit you are double seven and now I'm giving it back. I, I, I think that works.
0: Maybe i i think for me it's because it's pretty those those two bits are pretty quick they are very together yeah um so it's kind of like back and forth it it feels like after that first part we kind of we've said it like they they both are seeing eye to eye now they're both kind of respectful of what each other is doing um So i don't know that's it's a minor thing it just like was one line that uh i i felt it i kind of wish that there had been like i think it would have been nice if that was the case and then they did say they do they mention retiring the number in that little conversation they have where the, it's a very nice conversation where there's a, a glass sitting on a table for bond and they try and uh, reads or m tries to read some bible verses and i don't doesn't. think so that would be nice if there is a bit there where it doesn't have to have someone come out and say well we've retired 007 yeah. but if there is some visual reference that like there is no longer a 007. I think that would be nice because then that would really justify that as, oh, he dies as 007. And so they had the, the jokes about her saying, oh, did you think they were going to retire that number? And then I think that they almost, they, they left it in the lurch and I wish they'd either pushed it a little farther or, or pulled it back a little bit. Um, and the fact that I'm spending so much time on this is because it's, it's one thing I found that I actually, uh, have a problem with, so I, I might as well <laughs> dig into
1: it some. Maybe M has some paperwork on his desk, and it's the the retirement forms for the 007, and he stamps it <laughs> approved.
3: <laughs> Retire. <laughs> so, I, I know that there are there's going to be another Bond, but the, do we have any idea, Alex, Like, who, what other characters will stick around? Because with all the other James Bonds, they... And They haven't had to create a, a, any sort of ongoing continuity because there just is a new actor now, and it might keep the same M or the same Q or money pinning and be like, yeah, now this is James Bond. Don't worry about it. We don't need to... It's just not a thing. But in this one, they kill James Bond, and theoretically, whoever they get next would be playing James Bond again. He wouldn't be playing, I don't know, Cecil Treadaway or something, and he's... <laughs> <laughs> and he's double the new 007 why not though so i wonder if like like, like do we know if if it's still gonna because i feel like at this point it would be weird if like ray fines and ben wishaw were talking to a new james bond when it's like and i i don't know it would be like so in our our other our, in the other in earth 42 that james bond died you know or, or are they just going to completely revamp everything with the next bond
1: it's very hard to say because this franchise has set the precedent that it can basically do whatever it wants. Sure. And it really comes down to the Judy Dench of it all. Because she is um, in all four Pierce Brosnan movies, which are supposed to be, you know, just kind of the long-running series. We don't really do any reboots or anything. It's just right, kind of—it's right. a loose timeline. But then you get to Casino Royale. It's a hard reboot. Oh, yeah. That's it life, is a yeah. post 9-11. Bond is just starting. James, like, it's right, it's a new right. story. And Judi Dench is there as M. And she's that's playing a, a different point. version of M, but it's still Judi Dench. So, yeah. honestly, I have no idea. They could just kind of pick and choose. Maybe it's whichever yeah. actors want to stick around. Yeah. Um, Maybe they want to go with some fresh blood, and they can start them with uh, cheaper rates per movie. I don't know. Um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it unfolds. Although, I'm going to be honest, I'd be okay if this was the last Bond movie. Sure. Honestly, yeah. leave it on a high note. I, I, I could do that. I mean,
3: no. For and this I, is yeah. me. <laughs> um. Although, Charles Dance is cute, I'm just going to say. Yeah. Not M, they'll be like, okay, this is a watch, it's got gas in it or whatever. Char- Charles dance as Q and Ben Whishaw as M. <laughs> well, James, if you would be so kind as to maybe go and kill this dictator, that would be lovely. This is chicken, it's
1: also a gun. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. I do also think it would be fun if Daniel Craig played M. Aww, that would be good. That would be cute.
0: I am so, like, between Knives Out and this, Daniel Craig, I think, has just shot up <laughs> in terms of my favorite actors. It um, can be really there. There is a... I don't know if anyone... I think you've both seen this, but just to our general listening audience, there is a, like, five-second clip of uh, Daniel Craig and some other people standing on a dock from Knives Out mm. 2, uh, and it just gets me so hyped. And it's, <laughs> it's nothing. It, there's no, It's just, like, a, a shot a preceding shot and then there's Daniel
3: Craig and he's, he's somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and that's
0: like all you get. And I'm like, yes. And Ryan Johnson please. being proud
3: of his gifting ability. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. No, he's a very, he's a very fun gifted actor. He did a play with uh, Hugh Jackman on Broadway like mm. a while ago, but I bet that was a good time. Just watching those
1: two, which Damn is wasn't funny because Hugh Jackman was also one of the top runners for Bond back when Daniel Craig was, Oh. I think it was, let's see, it was the two of them. I think Clive Owen was in there. Ewan McGregor was in there. <laughs> like, a very kind of eclectic bunch of guys. <laughs> yeah. Huh.
3: Interesting. DeForest Kelly, which was weird. <laughs> and impossible. But they dreamed. <laughs> I've been saying for a while, I think Henry Golding is my pick for, if they're going to do another one, I think he'd be great at it. But, also, like you said. Not a, uh, I was going to say, not um guy we're gonna be talking about a good bit next week
0: whose name i can't remember richard madden all of a sudden not not richard madden
3: javier bardem that would also be good (laughs) oscar isaac sure benedict cumberbatch Cumberbatch? chalamet me me
2: cumberbatch
0: i want benedict cumberbatch but it's like the same performance as sherlock (laughs) (laughs) and we just don't address that (laughs) we we fully embrace the sociopath nature of bond Yeah, Yeah, now he just shoots people a lot (laughs) Yeah. He goes to his mind palace, and while he's in his mind palace, he's killing (laughs) Spectre. His his mind palace is Goldeneye. (laughs) (laughs) His mind palace is him sitting in front of it, an old
3: CRT TV with an N64 controller. Watson, I'm going into my mind palace. No odd job. No odd job. Slaps only.
1: (laughs) Slaps only in the mind palace. (laughs) Or slappers only, excuse me. I did want to ask what you guys thought of the nanobots of it all, um, because especially it. uh, it's not even post COVID. We're still living in it. This movie yeah. is. It was weirdly prescient when they were making it, um, and then it got delayed <laughs> multiple years yeah, because of the the pandemic. I I, I kind
3: of liked. I kind of, it was a neat idea. It was high um, high concept enough. Like oh this is a weapon that targets you by your DNA, and what I liked about it was it one creates the idea that the British government is at fault for that they were the ones creating this weapon and, and it's their fault that it's out there, but it's it's the kind of weapon that a theoretically peace seeking nation would create because they're like well if it's his DNA then there's no collateral nobody else has to get hurt Jamie Fox is fine, and we're we're just gonna attack the bad guys and no no uh, uh side casualties. Um, and which is that's the kind of thing that in a world like this a government would say like we we, we want a weapon that will only hurt the intended people and no right. one else and then when the bad guys get a hold of it well now it's incredibly deadly because they can just target everyone and there's mm-hmm. no way to escape it but it's high concept enough where it's a little far fetched but not to the degree of some of the other Bond movies which are you are know, basically like I will harness the sun to create my own tanning booth or they just want to north korea will take
1: over south korea with it
3: it's just this in i mean completely cartoon like spyro the dragon level like what are you talking about why do you want to control the clouds but i i don't know it worked for me maybe it's just rami malik delivering it i don't know Mm -hmm. no i think it i think it works and i think uh it creates that really
0: nice uh element to the ending of bond realizing oh if i go back i can never see i literally uh, cannot yes, interact with utility.
1: any other human because it can then spread and eventually kill them
0: yeah 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 um and so that that being the i you know i i'm like i literally was living in isolation at the beginning of this movie and that is no longer acceptable to me yeah. I'm, I'm just i'm just going out um wait are you telling me bond had an arc he had an arc i think it's i think it's really good and and specifically an arc that so well like it's such a central idea to all these bond movies is that this is this character who goes through so much like trauma and awfulness and half the time does not respond to it in the slightest and just kind of makes more quips or yeah kills more guys uh and this movie or this iteration of the character going to like casino real explores some of that but then it hasn't really consistently strung that into a full-fledged thing uh until now I feel like and this feels like a great capstone on. Okay, now we're really digging into this character, why he is so broken and how he can become fixed and and sort of become whole again in in terms of who he is and and what he what he thinks and feels. Uh and then he can die. <laughs> uh
3: that's very nice. It, it is it is genuinely really well done. Yeah. I was not expecting him to die at the end. I really Mm -hmm. was not. Same. I figured it was just going to be he gets to be with uh, Madeline and Mathilde and, and, you know, the sun sets and then we're good. New adventures next time. This sounds bad, but uh, I...
0: Not only did I not expect him to die, I did not expect the movie to, <clears throat> to make me care. Yeah. Totally. Dies. Like I really no, didn't sure. I really thought if if he had died, it would have been like, okay, this is very telegraphed and like But by the by the end, because it's done so much work building him yeah. up and exploring this character after like completely withdrawing from the world and the things he's been through and making him feel again and then putting him through that at the end of the movie, like that that shot of him getting blown up, like where you see the missile. Yeah. kind of blow up from underneath him, and and he disappears into the into the explosion. Yeah, uh, it's it's shocking and it's it's powerful. Like it's it's really
3: good. Yeah, I maybe mean, it's just being trained by worse movies. But I was all through the rest of it, I was like, so they're gonna drive home, and he's gonna be at the house, right? Like he yeah. he's he's gonna be like pull down the paper and there he, or something. No, he he's he's dead. <laughs> he's very dead. He's he's dead and gone. He's and he's fighting Michael Myers him... in hell.
0: <laughs> they don't just let him uh you know get shot and bleed out and and then, sure you know
1: have a have a peaceful
0: yeah goodbye there's no there's no body to bury it's he's, he is he's decimated done, done. We,
1: we got we got our fake out death and dark Knight rises okay i i've had that <laughs> i need another logan <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i need sure. something definitive
3: <laughs> yeah no it 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 works really well it works really well and i think i i like and like that i think Hugh Jackman was also of the thing of the opinion like no he has to, he has to die. Yeah. <laughs> like uh-huh. that's where this is going. And I like that. I like that Craig cared that much to be like this is where this character should should end up. And I've talked about how James Bond can be too much of a toxic aspirational figure and this one is like no he is a mortal person. That this is a human soul and
1: you know he's not just an
3: action figure. He's not just a costume. He he's a he's a a person and I like that.
1: Yeah. I do really just love that final confrontation between him and Safin after Safin has shot him and Bond just kind of grabs him and just the the visual of of Safin's arm, just like it's in the air and it just snaps. I remember Mm -hmm. everyone in the theater being like, oh, yeah. (laughs) And then Bond obviously, you know, has the the shocking reveal that he's been poisoned. And then he just kind of picks up the gun out of the water and just kind of shoots Safin without even looking at him. It's Just like I'm done with you
3: yeah no it's so and that makes it more chilling to me that like oh it's the big villain oh he's just dead yeah and movies can do that in a way where it feels cavalier and you're like well that was anticlimactic what was i was all the build-up for but here it mattered more because again the focus is on bond that he's like nope you're just done you're just done yeah Yeah, it's fantastic
1: uh i did want to circle back real quick because i i agree with you Britton. i love that mi6 ultimately is at fault for heracles in the first place I don't feel like m gets any sort of comeuppance for it sure and i think that's kind of a flaw um he does admit he's like okay this is bad i need to tell the prime minister but then that doesn't really go anywhere and then yeah. they almost start world war three by launching the miss- missiles at the island and nothing comes of that either
3: yeah it was just a really cool pm <laughs>
1: Yeah, he was like, oh, "You man. didn't, you didn't see
3: know. when he calls the PM, and the and the, a big hand picks up the phone, and it's Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> huh? You, oh, really? Don't worry, we'll put the smack down on this problem, M. <laughs> Do you need me to come help? Oh, you got James Bond. All, all right. right, you should be good. <laughs> all right, well, <laughs> next time, baby, and then he comes <laughs> up. Dwayne Johnson will return. S-007. <laughs> <007. laughs> Prime Minister
0: Ha, <laughs>
1: yes um and i do recognize that like m isn't in this movie all that much so like we don't need to have a whole subplot about that we did have a subplot about (laughs) something similar to that inspector and it sucked um i think it works pretty
0: well because you see how much stress and like how much m is crumbling sure yeah in general and i mean uh, he does face a consequence
1: bond dies
0: yeah, and and so I think it helps to inform his character and what what M is going through internally without necessarily needing to get get into like what are the consequences for this character. I think it works okay as just oh, this is a character who is is falling apart at the seams because this is such a a difficult like position for him to be in throughout the movie.
1: Yeah, um, I did want to point out a really fun, um bit of character growth it's very subtle and it helps to kind of uh lampshade a plot hole in skyfall <laughs> um in skyfall one of the the kind of uh, more ridiculous things that happens is that uh q just plugs in silva's computer into the mi6 computer mainframe and then when everything starts to get hacked by Silva's computer, he's like, oh, no, I plugged it into the mainframe. What a <laughs> dumb idea. Um, and there's a very nice moment in this where he has Operchev's USB and he's like, Bond, where has this been? And Bond goes everywhere, I should imagine. And then Q goes, well, into the sandbox then. And instead of putting it into his normal computer, he has like this military grade computer that it you know appears to be specifically built for like testing programs outside of being plugged into like a mainframe or whatever i'm like cues learned <laughs> mm-hmm. it's subtle nobody would have noticed that but me <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's nice yeah that is good
0: um uh i think yeah last thing that i big thing i wanted to bring up was blofeld we haven't really addressed him i i like the scene quite a bit they make him hannibal lecter they... and it's
1: delightful <laughs>
0: yeah interrogate him and then accidentally kill him because saffin so saffin i guess got himself put in the same place as blofeld so that he could uh touch leah's to do so that she could then spread it to blofeld
1: yeah saffin goes and confronts uh madeline is like okay i'm gonna subtly threaten you because i can't flat out say uh I'm threatening your daughter because that hasn't been revealed yet. Um, right. Uh, so sure. go and, uh, poison Blowfeld for me. <laughs> Cause you owe me for saving you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really tense scene. And I don't know if it's Christoph Waltz is acting or it's just the writings better. He seems so much more comfortable in that role than he did in Spectre. Yeah. Blofeld. Yeah. There's something off about him in Spectre. And I don't know if it's just the brother nonsense, that they mention a couple of times in this, so. but they kind of just like we're not going to focus on that. Yeah, um, no. don't they does say that also they're not actually related?
2: Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah.
1: That's in an... yeah, okay. They're because is it that Bond Bond's parents die, and then Blofeld's okay. father? Um, I don't know if it's like an official adoption, but he basically takes Bond on as a ward and oh, teaches okay. him how to hunt, how to fish, how to yeah. kind of live outdoors and whatnot. Um, and we don't get a whole lot more in the backstory beyond that, aside from Blofeld hated that his father seemed to like Bond more than he liked him. (laughs) So, um, so, yeah, I, I think it is a really good scene of
0: them. The, the fact that we know that Bond has the stuff on his hands yeah, and or like, a you know, it's now it's spread to Bond so that Bond can spread it to, to Blofeld and it keeps like Bond keeps almost touching Blofeld and then not. Uh, it's it's a good
1: it's a good scene. And the moment of him choking Blofeld and saying, die, Blofeld, die is from the you Only Live Twice novel. That's how he kills mm-hmm. Blofeld in that, which it's kind of clunky dialogue, but yeah, points for being a reference, I guess. So, yeah. And I really like how that he's the author of all his pain. I like how Blofeld's like, no, I'm going to really, I'm going to really sting you with this. I I am the one who tricked you into like ruining your life again. And this time it actually feels like it makes sense instead of no, all the villains you fought before really worked for me. That's why I've, I've constantly been ruining your life. No, this, this time it, it actually kind of hits home and it feels authentic. Yeah. In a way yeah. that previously it did
3: not. Inspector, as is it revealed that Bond's parents were filthy junk traders who sold him off for drinking money?
0: And in this one, it's revealed uh, his, his father was Palpatine.
3: So. <laughs> his, his father was Robert Davi from that movie Robert Davi was in. Die,
0: Bluefields, <laughs> die!
3: <laughs> that's all I got. Can Ian McDiarmid be the next M?
1: That'd be great. You have
3: to go and get the guy who wants to
1: take the clouds. Um, Your next mission, Bond, is to fight Francisco Scaramanga. We're doing that again?
3: Yes. (laughs) Count Dooku? (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. I really like the Bond James Bond in this, where he's trying to get into the MI6. Mm -hmm. What's your name? Bond.
1: James Bond. <laughs> and the guy's good. just like typing away and he's just like. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was good. And just like the subtle bits of like when uh, he runs into money, Penny, he's got the visitor's pass and she just like, she messes with it. And she's like, how's retirement? Yeah. And mm-hmm. another nice, just like call back to the entire franchise when Bond leaves M's office and he throws the, the um visitor pass into the trash can. Hmm. That's a reference to him in the original films. He would enter M's office and throw his hat on the rack. Uh, yeah. Neat. They watched the movies. <laughs> yeah. And somehow
0: they were like, hey, we're going to take the stuff that's going to make our movie good from these bad guys. Yeah, yeah!
1: <laughs> it's great.
0: Oh, Bond doesn't wear a sailor hat. So, ooh, you know, yeah
3: message? Well, I message you, you guys. There's a part where somebody says double O trouble, and they didn't say double O trouble O. Oh, so I just can't. So C minus.
1: Yeah. Oh, trouble so O seven. Um, he does wear a baseball cap when he's taking his boat into Cuba, which just <laughs> the visual of him just taking his small little sailboat and then Nomi just flies in overhead and she waves to him as they both, you know, exit the dock. This is going to be one of those movies where I keep thinking back to it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give it like an A minus, aren't I? And both of you are like, you you love that movie. Yeah. You think it's perfect. <laughs> I'm like, you're go right. Go to <laughs> No Time to Die.
0: Yeah. Go go to it. <laughs> it. Embrace it. Is that a transition, Alex? Are you going to rate it now?
1: <laughs> no, I have more things to say. <laughs> oh, jeez. We're at an this hour and a half. We're not length done length. yet. Um, How did you guys feel about? We might want to talk about the opening with uh, Safin trying to kill uh, Madeline and killing her mother, because um, I think yeah. that's effectively done. And it's it's like a mini horror movie inside of a Bond movie, which is fun. Yeah. We've talked about doing another franchise
3: that I think will open similarly with sad French people being depressed. <laughs> 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 and I and, I, that's, and I, when I watched this movie, I was like, I have a feeling we'll be seeing echoes of this. That's, uh, your listeners,
0: uh, it's ahead of your time, but you in like eight weeks, you're going to love it.
1: So <laughs> your kids are going to love it. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I think the thing. mask design for Safin is really, really creepy and sure. neat. And it's yeah. just a very striking visual. I kind of wish he wore it for the whole movie. And then my, at the end, my his one thing disfigurement, I guess, gets revealed. I don't know. My
0: my one thing how so. Uh, Rami Malik, How old
3: is Rami Malik? I had maybe, I, okay. Maybe I'm, I'm just totally no. I'm gonna I'm like the late thirties, right? He's he is forty. Okay. Yeah, no, because I had these the same thought that I was like, yeah, you're probably on the same.
0: Yeah, Leah Sidu is thirty six. Mm-hmm. So that that has always tr- I think just because Rami Malik like looks fairly young. Overall he's got kind of a youthful yeah, yeah. demeanor. And obviously they age him up. They do they do like he's got weird uh disfigurements and such uh from his various shenanigans. Uh and well, it's
1: from Mr. White killing his family.
0: <laughs> yeah, shenanigans. Uh <laughs> and he uh he is supposed to be a you know, like a full grown adult when uh, Madeline is a is a, do- a daughter is a at least a in his late child. teens, yeah. Um, and and the way he moves, I think in that opening, feels like he's supposed to be already kind of this old, kind of like, yeah, s- seasoned maybe. Sure, uh, fighter. I guess you would call agent. I don't know. Um, so that that was joining me for a bit. I had to, it took me a while. I remember on the first watch to ch- start to like piece that together and make that fit in my brain. Sure. Uh, just because that doesn't really, it, it's kind of the opposite thing they did where, uh, cause Daniel Craig is what late fifties now. Uh, I think he's like early, mid fifties, mid fifties. Um, he was, so like the age disparity between him and Leah was even larger in specter uh five or six years ago um and so that came out because like what what's the whole thing that he is the same age as or roughly the same age as mr white from casino real in quantum is that his name what what's the what's what's madeline's dad yeah name? mr white yeah because i i remember us talking about that back when we talked about those like it is weird that these these people are like Of similar age and at the time of that movie like Madeline would be very young and so I do
1: think it's clear that Mr. White is older than Bond I think for us it was more just these two like grizzled veterans one of them is going to uh, fall in love with the other's daughter like just and so regardless of the age difference that in and of itself is just weird. Yes. And so my,
0: my my ultimate point is this feels like they, they swung too far in the other direction where it's now like, oh, we've cast the villain too young to be somebody who also tortures or, or terrorizes uh, this this woman. So, Well, I think it's, it's little, one little of the other there, things
1: but. where Saffin's backstory is a little too vague, because when he's yeah. limping along, I think we're supposed to get the idea of that's because it goes along with his disfigurement It all comes from kind of this nexus point of his family getting killed from being poisoned and he got poisoned, but he survived. Um, but then cut to the future and maybe Saffin's like slowly been coming up with antidotes to try and improve himself or make him better. Sure. Um, he's not limping along. Like he's not having any issues like that. Yeah. And also they don't really address him surviving all those gunshot wounds from Madeline. Yeah. Happens. He gets shot great pretty if he had... good. It would have been
3: great if he'd been like crystals. I have this quartz and I focus on it and repeat my mantra, and that makes all the gunshot wounds go away. <laughs> the
0: crystal captures the
1: power of the sun, <laughs> and it really does put the power of the sun in the palm of his hand.
3: Saren is a naturopath. Uh,
1: yeah. I don't know. I I remember
0: being confused and really thinking that that was going to be like his father. Sure. Uh, in that scene. And then as as time went along, that was not the case. So that threw me off.
1: Also, his first name cool scene is otherwise, like Lucifer. And it's like, oh, he's uh-huh. the devil. I get it. Sure, sure.
3: Lucifer Satan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it says your name here is
3: Louis Cipher. Hmm, okay.
1: <laughs> Mr. Elzebub, Mr. B. Elzebub, <laughs> etc. Yeah. Um, the only other moment i wanted to touch on with um saphen is the bit where matilde bites his hand and he just kind of lets her go um mm-hmm. which i think is an interesting moment um yeah and that kind of feeds into his whole god complex of like okay you don't want my help i'm just gonna let you go die then um but at the same time i feel like just because his plan is underdeveloped that just it it feels like a weird scene. It almost feels like we could have just had bond shoots all the guys and just manages to save Matilde and Safin gets away. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe so. I liked, I like it as a character moment for Safin to,
0: again, since we don't get a ton of time with him or a ton of depth with him. It's it's neat to be, have this thing of like, she's not really useful to him anymore. Madeline's who he's really after. he's, He's kind of lost control of the situation. He does not care about this random child. Uh, and I think that that says a good bit about who he is. So yeah. I don't mind it.
1: I do wish they got more into who the buyers were. Like, because cause they have the ticking time bomb of, like, oh, if these ships show up to get Heracles, like, it's all over, we're we're screwed. Um, that's why we have to launch the missiles now. But it's like, who are they? Could be a boat full of MI6 agents that we aren't aware of. <laughs> <laughs> <Not> sure. <laughs> M's like,
0: Okay, we we lost Bond, but we were able to destroy the weapons. And then this (laughs) Prime Minister Dwayne Johnson is like, Dude, I sent all these agents over there. They they totally had it under control. What did you do, man?
3: Oh, jeez. I guess M stands for Mulligan. Oh, boy. (laughs) My bad.
1: Uh... I follow the Facebook account for for James Bond 007 because I okay. just follow updates and when they release okay. trailers. That's how I found the uh, – there's like fun interviews where it's like Bong Joon-ho and then Guillermo yeah. del Toro did one where they're talking with mm-hmm. the cast and crew. I'm like, why is this not on the special features of my Blu-ray? Sure. We'll set that aside. I'm assuming they,
3: they post a lot of memes like, when you don't know when the next Bond movie's coming out and like Jensen Ackles from
1: Supernatural is crying. <laughs> I don't think it's quite that bad. I think it's Aww. mostly just we've got new merch on the Bond website. Sure. <laughs> here's, here, here's a minion with a gun. <laughs> here's a minion in a tux. <laughs> but you follow the Facebook page for James Bond. All of, I look at the comments, and it's just like the most disheartening thing, because all of them are just like, No Time to Die is the worst Bond movie ever. They killed Bond. You just can't do that. And I'm like, did you watch the, the movie, though? This... This reinforces something that we've already
0: accidentally alluded to that i I think I've secretly been forming in my brain, which my my take is this that uh uh no time to die much like the last Jedi is a movie that the franchise it comes from does not deserve in the slightest <laughs> uh, because the rest of the franchise is is bad uh and the movie is good, and the fans don't care so
1: well I mean it's just <laughs> it, i mean I'm not I mean, against it. It it does make me wonder because I, I I would understand general audiences being completely baffled by the end of this movie and being like, does that mean sure. there's no more Bond movies? Like sure. he died and not even you know because most people aren't going to stick around because they it, this isn't a Marvel movie. It doesn't have an end credit scene, but it does have it's yeah, it's not for return. little kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um. You know, I look in there, and, like, clearly they're following the James Bond page if they're going in to comment or whatever. And they're like, you killed off Bond, and it's like you're gonna get another Bond movie in three <laughs> to four years. Like, shut up. Well, it's
0: it's almost the opposite of people after Infinity War who are like, it doesn't matter. They're just gonna bring them all back. Right. Why, why do you care? Which, for one, Endgame doesn't quite do that. But also it's like, well... Sure, but th- this movie did something that was very interesting and impactful. Yeah, and like it was a very effective movie. Like we're we're not. Yeah, we don't have to be that concerned about where this is going. Like this was a really interesting
1: thing. Yeah, and I I uh, don't mean to sound that harsh about it because I do I do get the frustration. Like if the movie didn't work for you and you didn't like it, you didn't like it. But. The Daniel Craig movies from their inception are a self-contained series. They have references to the other movies, but it is yeah. a specific vision for this character. It's a specific iteration. Much like the Dark Knight trilogy is not connected to the Burton Schumacher movies. It's a new right. interpretation of Batman. And you've got 20 other movies of Bond just doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Like, I I just, I look at those comments and I'm, I've been trying to escape social media and just the internet in general just t- to try and be healthier in my own life anyway. But just looking at that stuff, I'm like, you guys are really, like, missing out on some good stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. They're silly. <laughs> <laughs> um. Last thing I'll say, this movie, I, I you know, kind of mentioned it, it very much follows the Logan or Dark Knight Rises path and I guess I just kind of love that kind of story of a sure, hero yeah. on the edge of their rope, and they kind of just go on one last adventure. James Mangold, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, you've given me hope for Indiana Jones 5.
3: And Alien, and Alien 3. I didn't even make that connection.
1: And Alien 3. <laughs> In a way.
0: Alex. And or Britain. What are you giving this movie?
3: Uh, flat A. I really liked it. I don't have the baked in, you know, affection and history with it that, that Alex or, or uh, a country that stole my name does. <laughs> but I I did. I thought it was just really well done. Just it really worked. Uh, I think I think the only real barrier for me is just not having the inherent attachment. But yeah, it's, it's a good piece of filmmaking. And I think a, a good way to treat this character. Good stuff. And I'm this happy is, that it made my friend happy. Like that that actually <laughs> like in and of itself bumps it up.
1: Well, for me, it's it's more just it's the it's not even just it's really, really good. It's more just I waited for six years yeah. and I waited through an entire pandemic to get to it because it just kept getting delayed over and mm-hmm. over again. Mm-hmm. And then I finally got to it and it didn't disappoint. Like right. that's yeah. no totally. Yeah. Um say, this how is,
3: many how many times have you seen it now? Six or seven? Then that also says something, though, that <laughs> you, like, if you didn't genuinely like it, you would have burned out on it by now.
0: <laughs> yeah, you would have. Uh, you watched a two-hour and forty-five-minute movie. Yeah.
3: So if you don't give this an A plus, I'm gonna be very mad at you. I you, can't. Uh, I think you I spent almost
1: ro- almost a full day watching this movie <laughs> collectively. <laughs> yes. I gave Casino yeah. Royale an A minus. I'm gonna stick so. with A minus for this. I think ultimately, I still think that Casino Royale is the better movie. I'm sticking with my own weird standards, Britton. Uh, okay. Dark Knight no, no, no. Rises, you, you get, I this is right. yours. You get to do absolutely what you want. I was, just, I was Dark Knight Rises, bet- I gave a a B minus if you remember correctly, and I, I love it. I was that's true. I was torn between. Did you really give Dark Knight Rises a B minus? Uh, I think I gave it a B plus initially, and then I downgraded it. <laughs> uh, it's got flaws.
0: I, I was torn between A and A plus, and I've gone. I'm going A plus. You've, you've you pushed me like I, I I have to.
1: Yeah, how are you giving this the, the lowest the
3: grade? I,
1: I guess just our, we got a weird curve in terms of Bond movies because yeah. I'm nicer to the bad ones. That's true. That's <laughs> true. true. What an like, and again like this is I'm absolutely like most yours. of this
3: franchise is trash. All right, this you know
1: what? Great. You know what? No, do you what know you what? Want is
3: yours, Alex? It's yours.
1: You know what? We're going flat A. I'm not doing A plus. Oh, okay. We'll go flat right. A.
3: There we go. There
1: we go. Peer pressure. Got to love it. No, I. I <laughs> it's just like I want you to feel the joy. Well, in, I mean that in the that world. means this is the best Bond movie by my standard. I. I feel like... I know again, you think it's the best Bond movie time. No, no, no. I feel like, again, this is
0: a two-hour and 45-minute movie that you've watched, like, seven times in a span of three months. That's
3: true.
1: <laughs> I did see it three times in theaters. That, that yeah. is, like, almost a full day. I hope you understand yeah. like, calendar day. I'd be curious yeah. to, to compare in, like, five years how many times have I watched Casino Royale and how many times have I watched sure. this. Sure. Yeah. I do
0: think this lines up nicely for this as a franchise, because even though, like... I don't like Quantum of the Solace. I think if you're look, if you you now have like a nice five movie saga. Yeah. Like if this movie hadn't really worked, then it would have just been like I, I just watched Casino Royale, or just watch Skyfall. But like, it is nice that it's like Casino Royale, Royale. Yeah, Casino Royale is really good, and sets up things that are going to be important throughout this entire franchise. Right. You get Quantum of Solace, whatever. Then you have Skyfall. Skyfall is good. Then you have uh specter which
1: is like at least very entertaining it does uh, specter the 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 sad thing is that attempts to be an ending for the franchise as well sure but i think this rounds out yes.
0: that very well and like kind of plays off of everything that's come before it uh in a, in a really nice way so i think now you actually have oh this is a this is a cool five movie story about uh that that is not just you got two good movies and they fell off the rails or that that reboot was good at the very end but the everything in the middle was trash like it's interesting that these attempts kept sort of working at times and got us to this point where we now have like an actual continuous thing that you can watch
1: i'm a quantum assault apologist so sure even better for
3: you quantumania what movies have Mm -hmm. you given an a plus to
1: the 10 that we did for our our best of okay yeah dark phoenix (laughs) our clip show yeah yeah, Terminator Four.
0: Yeah, okay. Terminator Five.
1: Yeah. Yes, Terminator. Termin- yes, as as we know, I'm the biggest fan of Terminator Genesis. That yeah. is yeah. that a- is a- 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 that's a- on a- my a LinkedIn bio.
2: <laughs>
3: Halloween Resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. All the resurrections, basically. <laughs> the, any
0: anything with the resurrection, <laughs> the Matrix resurrections, which we'll get to. That's that's the new one, right? Yes. Yeah. I I cannot keep those titles safe. Correct in my brain i couldn't tell you which is the second or the third of reloaded or revolutions
1: reloaded Um, is the second one
3: okay i'll trust you on that yeah
1: the revolutions because
3: war sure which has three letters so it's the third movie (laughs) (laughs)
1: good good mnemonic um look tyler if you come up with enough brain tricks to get this working you'll remember it somehow (laughs) that's true that's true uh trinity definitely revolutions this
0: was a good movie that we talked about mm-hmm. i watched another good movie which was pride and prejudice from 2005 <laughs>
3: yes you did i oh my uh, god okay just real quick context for the audience uh tyler's wife posted about this that they were watching it and i immediately started just like <laughs> bombarding her with like all the things i love about the movie and she her responses got shorter and shorter
1: oh it makes me so happy Go. I, it is. It, it is it, on my HBO Max queue. So it, since I'm running through that, I will get to that soon. Yeah. Uh. No,
0: it's really nice. Yeah. It. It's got. It's a really fascinating movie because it's got a cast that none of none of the cast has really gone on to like explode. But I recognize almost everybody yeah. from things that I really like. It's got. Uh. How oh, what is, what is <laughs> President Snow's actor's name? Uh, and, or Donald
3: Sutherland. Mr. Ben
0: donald Sutherland. there we go i yeah um i don't remember names as we've established on this podcast uh it's got donald sutherland it's got um obviously keira knightley uh carrie mulligan is uh
3: one of keira knightley's sisters and she's just around she she Uh, laughs so much i'm worried about her in that movie (laughs) like her face is always about to faint it feels like but yeah um I'm
0: trying to, remember. there were a few other people like
3: that yeah, where Jenna like, Malone know. is in there. She's General General the Malone. That was the one. Uh, Matthew McFadden, uh, Brenna Um
0: So there's just like a lot of people who this clearly did not like jumpstart a career, but also it's kind of like, Oh, now they, they've done some stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, they have, they have a filmography there. Um, but no, it's really sweet. It's just like a good, I've, I've never read Same. the book, um, Same. but seems like a, you know, a, a pretty loving adaptation that, uh, I think Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden, mm-hmm. uh, they are they are really really good in it, uh, and and play off of each other really well. And it's just like a it's it's a sweet you know strong romantic movie. Roman romances I think don't get enough appreciation for how clean the storytelling. I think I may have like talked about Sweet Home Alabama before. <laughs> I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast, but I should have because uh, I watched that uh, also with uh my wife a, a while back and it's just like the the beats and like the way you can get the right kind of emotion out of it it's it's very yeah. straightforward and very clean and it's like this is this is a very structurally sound story because we know exactly how we have to hit each beat so yeah uh, good good movie yeah
3: i've i've, I've talked about it on this it's one of my favorite movies i think it's so beautifully shot and the music is fantastic and everybody and it's great Talula riley as the sad sister i think is so funny because mm-hmm. she's always like i think balls are really boring and lame oh um i i didn't even look up his name but uh beckett
0: from the pirates of the caribbean movies oh uh is mr collins yeah tom hollander yes fantastic uh, judy dench is in there of course is- Yes, yes, yes.
3: Yeah, it's just like wall-to-wall. Everyone in it's great. It it looks fantastic. It's so funny. Yeah, I, I, that's one of my favorite movies, easily. Alex, do you have a cavalcade of, of
1: things? No, not this time, and I guess the, I was just in the mood for really long movies. Um, oh, boy. I decided to try A Star is Born from mm. 1954, mm. the huh. Judy Garland version. I have not seen either the uh, black and white one from the 30s or the Chris Christopherson one from the 70s. Um, So really, it's just comparing the Judy Garland one with the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga one. Um, Very interesting how just kind of in 30 or 40 year cycles, we kind of take this story and retell it through a new lens and whatever was going on um, to make it more contemporary. Uh, I, I found all of that. Maybe I found the points of comparison more fascinating than the movie itself. Sure. Because um, I did feel like the movie was mostly just an excuse for Judy Garland to do like just a bunch of big dance numbers and like songs. Yeah. Because um, it is very much a musical. And I didn't really like the male character at all. Um, I think. Do you, who, do you know who it was? Was it like a, a big name? I think so. Let me look that up real quick. No, you keep talking. I'll look it up. I don't want to attack um, your thing. Because I was also confused because it's Jackson Maine is Bradley Cooper's character, and it's Norman Maine in the 54 one. And I don't, I guess like a cool rock country star doesn't, with the name of Norman, doesn't quite work. <laughs> so it, James, James Mason
3: uh, for the listeners. Yeah. James Mason.
1: Hmm. I thought
3: it was uh, Dick Van Dyke. God, if only. <laughs>
1: George but Picard, damn. I think the movie doesn't do the best job of introducing his character. It doesn't like display his like it very much starts him off as he is a washed up drunk. Whereas the mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper one, it starts with he's like he, he's very he's a skilled musician. And we start off showing like, OK, here's his talent. Here is why he is famous. um, yeah. And we automatically feel the chemistry between him and Lady Gaga, and I'm like, okay, there's an attraction here, and he wants to help her, and I I buy the romance. Didn't really buy it as much in the 54 one, and maybe that's just the sensibilities of the day. Um, Judy Garland is great, um, because Judy Judy Garland is absolutely wonderful, Um, but I, I think particularly the way the main character is written, I didn't find him super likable, and oftentimes I was a little... I didn't quite understand what his motivations were. If it was purely, I see talent in this girl, and I'm going to make her famous, or if it's I am romantically attracted to her. Yeah, and I I was it. The movie wasn't communicating that all that well, and it was also three hours, and I feel like it it did not need it. There were there were several instances once Judy Garland's character because it follows the same trajectory roughly of the Bradley Cooper one. I won't get fully into spoilers, but she does become a star, um, and there are just several scenes of just like her shooting movies that are just excuses for her to do big numbers. Yeah, and that's it. There's no, we're not pushing story forward, which is okay. I don't always need that, but it felt like there were five different musical numbers. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's a very fifties musical thing.
1: <laughs> yeah um so lukewarm recommendation there it's mostly just interesting to kind of look at as a time capsule in comparison because like i said it is roughly the same story just with wildly different sensibilities so on that level i found it kind of fascinating i haven't seen any of the stars are born so one day i will the star wars
3: are born Ooh, palpatine's alive again and taking a young jedi under his wing (laughs) but i keep drinking all of the hooch and that's making me a bad emperor and I'm also there. I'm Sam Elliott. The, the...
1: <laughs> Who are you? Seth Elliot? <laughs> what? Darth Elliot? Can we get James Earl Jones and Ian McDermott to sing Shallow?
2: <laughs> In the Shallow. Shallow.
3: <laughs> but they're still like leaning their foreheads against each other real hard. Yes. yes. <laughs> um. I, I have a more than lu- lukewarm recommendation. I watched a movie on also on HBO Max called Shiva Baby. Uh, that's Shiva spelled S-H-I-V-A and then baby like the person.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And it is a story. Which person is that? Really everyone at first. <laughs> like the people? <laughs> like the people. Uh, it, it, it's a, It's called Shiva Baby. It was made by Emma Seligman. I believe it's her feature debut. And it's about a young woman named Danielle, I think she's in college, who goes to a Jewish funeral service. And whilst there, has some awkward run-ins with her ex-girlfriend and also her sugar daddy. Ugh, we've all been there. And it's it's a movie that, funny enough, it the, the movie that I can liken it the most to is Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. Because mm. like that movie, this movie is so good at creating there's no real stakes there's a lot of tension it's Mm. like a dramedy but it's very good at creating these very realistic relatable circumstances of just intensity and panic and like Danielle is dealing with this like really socially awkward moment and it just puts you right in her head and it's so effective it's shot really tight and there's a lot of really beautiful uh frames where like there's a conversation that like her mother is having with another mourner and they're just like going on and on and on and on and on. And the camera's just like closing in on Danielle and you're just getting the sense of like, oh, she cannot get away from this conversation. And then like actual like confrontations happen or almost happen. And it's, it's just, it, it is stressful, but it's really effective. Um, I it, it is quite funny. Uh, There's not really a lot of like famous people in it. The only people I recognized were, Fred Melamed, who's a character actor, and Glee's Diana Agron, um, who's actually quite good in it. Um, the main character is played by an actress called Rachel Sinat, who I haven't seen in anything, but she was really, really good. Her mom, Polly Draper, was really good. Uh, yeah, its I, I think it's one of my favorite movies of the past year. Like, it's just really, really well done. It's really interesting. It's shot really well. It's, it's just, like, interesting to watch how all of these social situations play out how it's shot because it's really really well shot and uh if you need any other selling points it is an hour and 17 minutes long oh Oh, there you go you just you get in there you just get like your head in a vice and then you're free and it's so good
1: a star is born was more than two of those
3: (laughs) (laughs) no this is like half the (laughs) length of no time to die Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, like almost I w- exactly. I was
0: already thinking No Time to Die was like two Venom Let There Be Carnes, if <laughs> that's, that's even.
3: It's literally two Shiva Babies. But yeah, it's it's on HBO Max. I highly recommend it to everybody. It does open with, it, kind of like Bridesmaids, it opens with a fairly frank sex scene that's also kind of funny. Um, but after that, it's really just like, oh, this poor woman just like dealing with stuff that even if we have not been in her situations, we have surely had some kind Mm. of even just the sense of like i am around my parents having a con uh, they're having a conversation about me and i want to get away from it um it just it's really as specific as it is it is kind of relatable but i just found it really 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 well made and i liked it a lot and it's called shiva baby there you go there's a really Um, stressfully funny scene about people getting in a car
0: I'm trying to connect that to Eternals, which is the movie <laughs> we're talking about next week, if I'm not mistaken. Well, let me check. It's um, either
3: Dune or Eternals.
0: Oh, is it Dune? It could be Dune. There are no cars in Dune, I will say. It is
3: Dune um, next week. Ooh, yeah. There we go. Get your still suits and keep an eye on that thermos because we're heading to Arrakis.
1: Tyler, yeah, Richard, uh, uh, Richard, Baden, if... and Dune. You made me lie earlier. Oh, that's true. Sure. true.
3: Guys, we... I see now what... Okay. that's We, okay, got, a, we got a bunch of long <laughs> <laughs> uh we do um if you want to hear
0: us talk about those long movies you can find us on here come the you can find us on twitter at HCT sequels um you can email us at here sequels at gmail.com we're on spotify and itunes and anywhere where you get them podcast uh we are close to two minutes or to two hours on this podcast and if we cross two hours and i can never return to my body so we do have to wrap this up uh i've been
1: tyler <laughs> I've been Britain. I've been Alex, and... <laughs> oh, oh, <Cut>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but are they having a good night?
3: They are.